What's up? My name is Matt Issa, here to bring you episode 8 of Blazing the Trail. On this episode, we'll be spotlighting your favorite Hooper's favorite Hooper, Penny Hardaway. Please remember that the article I wrote on Penny is also live as we speak, and you can find the link to that and parts 1 through 7 of this series in the description below or just by visiting basketballnews.com. On this episode, we have Tyler of the Hoop Venue YouTube channel on to do the exercise we did with Cody Hodek on episode five with Andre Kirilenko. And then we spend some time reminiscing the glory days with Penny's former teammate and first ever draft pick of the Orlando Magic, Nick Anderson. Again, please be sure to check out the article I wrote on Penny Along with the insights I got from Nick Anderson and Tyler Brin, it also has quotes from my interviews with Penny Hardaway's former teammate Danny Shays and former coach Richie Adebayo. Anyway, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you turn to for podcast consumption. We have so many more great interviews with players and coaches coming up, and I really just don't want you to miss out. Next time, we get to revisit one of everybody's favorite championship teams in the 2003-2004 Pistons through the lens of pull-up jump shooting artist Chauncey Billups. So yeah, do the thing, subscribe, and stay tuned. Without further ado, I give you Blazing the Trail. I'm here with Tyler of the Hoops Venue YouTube channel. Um, recently, me and Tyler have gotten to know each other through our shared love of historical work. And today we are coalescing to talk about one of our favorite players and one of the players that's getting spotlighted in Blazing the Trail, that is Penny Hardaway. The exercise we're doing today is very similar to the one I did with Cody Hodek on Andre Kirilenko. You can check that out. It's in the backlog, but we're going to basically break down where Penny ranked range-wise during his peak season, which me and um, Tyler have agreed is the 1995-96 season. The reason we're doing this is because a key, a hallmark feature of this series is that the, the things that make winning basketball have never changed. It's always pretty much been the same stuff. The only real big change is space and the illegal defense rules. But like the things that lead to winning basketball have always been the same. And so Penny Hardaway being a revolutionary player during it, having a set of skills that wasn't commonplace, but was what was conducive to winning gives him an upper hand in his era. And we want to demonstrate how being a zagger when everyone else was zigging gives him an upper hand and gives him a pretty, pretty nice all-time peak um, once we break it all down. But before we get into that, two things. One, if you can't tell, my voice sucks right now as me and Tyler were talking. I had a rough weekend. 
We'll just keep it at that. But it's a little bit raspy. I think it adds more character to the podcast. So that's why I'm okay with recording. And plus, I really plan on Tyler carrying the load here. So, but first, Tyler, for the listeners who are unaware, can you give a breakdown of Penny Hardaway's game, the need to knows? Absolutely. Um, Penny was one of the prototypes for what we see in the modern era with the combo guard. Um, Whereas in the 90s and in the 80s, really, teams were built surrounding their star guy with specialists. You had guys who were meant they were there to shoot. They were there to push the ball in transition. They were there to rebound. You had your off ball guys. You had your facilitators. Whereas Penny was one of those guys who kind of came in and just did a little bit of everything. And that was just like, he was one of those original guys. Now we see combo guards all the time. Um, Penny was six, seven but he had the handle and agility of a guard. So when you combine that size, handle, and agility, I mean, he was just a lethal slasher, just an an amazing slasher in the half court. Mm -hmm. He was a vertically gifted finisher. He had tons of finesse. Uh, His body control, phenomenal. His footwork, I mean, he could play out of the post as well because he was just so crafty. And on top of his ability to pressure the defense uh, and get to the paint, he was also one of the best and most creative passers I've ever seen. Like, he just toyed with the defense. Uh, Behind the back passes, over the head, looking the other direction. Um, You also saw a lot of this in transition. So, in that era, I mean, he's one of the few guys who I think is just one of the best lead playmakers um, of that time. And that it was just amazing. Yes, well said. Um, I think the important thing, and to to preface all this, the title of this chapter in Blazing the Trail is Penny Hardaway, the Floor Giant. And yeah. a lot of people see that, and it's like, oh, he was a tall point guard before it was in vogue. Kind of, yes, but it was more so that his impact looms large over the court like a giant, similar to a giant's shadow towering over, I don't know, citizens. Like he's one. Okay. If you think of like, who are the classical prototypical point guards of the eighties, it's Isaiah Thomas and John Stockton. Right. And then later on you see like kid and Nash and those guys are more traditional point guards in the sense that you, you set others up before you look to score. You know, they, they talk about like picking their spots or whatever, but I mean, Penny's a deviation from this and he kind of got some pushback when he first got into the league. People like, oh, he's more of a shooting guard. But his ability to combine elite playmaking with elite scoring is something that we kind of want from all of our lead playmakers today. We want our, our primary creator to also probably be our best or second best scorer. That's the ideal situation. And then that offensive package you talked about, on ball, three-level scorer, post-game. I mean, he was, not only was he like a good post-up player, he had like, he was kind of like a receiver. Like, I remember like, he had like a spin move he would go to, like before Mm -hmm. he would even catch the ball in the post. Like he'd have you on his back and then the the entry pass would be thrown. And then he would like just spin move around you as like like a swim move, a swim move, like a defensive end, like swimming past a offensive lineman. Uh, just incredible post game. You talk about the slashing. He was like a master of the ghost cut, really good at just identifying when 
his defender was kind of ball watching and just sneaking past them. Really good offensive rebounder. And then something that is going to differentiate him from some of the offensive players that we talk about. Pretty good defensive player. His size gives him massive edge. And then he's a really good defensive playmaker thanks to his length. But just all around offensive package, can play on and off the ball. Um, He's like he can be a floor raiser and a ceiling raiser at the same time. We'll talk about that in a little bit, I'm sure, but just one of the uh, best offensive peaks we've ever seen, to be honest. So, Oh yeah, go ahead, Tyler. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad you mentioned the, the quick post decisions and the quick moves because he could explode off floor so quickly. So when he would get the ball low and take one dribble, get around his man, the rim protection, if they weren't perfectly in place, it was going to be a dunk, no matter what. And his ability to just explode off the floor and just play in so many different spots. Like you said, uh, how he could be a floor and ceiling raiser. I love that so much. That's why he was such a perfect fit with Shaq, because he could shift between roles as a lead scorer, a lead playmaker, or even like a secondary off-ball guy. And his value's not changing. And I think that skill set from a guy who can effectively play the one through three is just so valuable. And I think that's like the big thing there is that the shiftability of, of the different roles he can play in and provide the same value or even more is just phenomenal to me. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Now, just to remind everyone to kind of pick out Penny's value, we're going to look at the all-stars of the 95, 96 season. And I know because of the lack of data at the time that the guys selected to the all-star team weren't the 25 best players. And we're going to mention a couple that I disagree with that Tyler disagrees with, but we know for a fact that Penny Hardaway was at least good enough to be a top 25 player. So we're just going to look at those guys for the sake of time um, and our sanity. But (laughs) what we're going to do is I'm going to name the list of players that are for sure better than Penny Hardaway in 95, 96 Tyler's going to tell me if he agrees, if we should add or subtract anyone. Then I'm going to name the list of players who were for sure less impactful than Penny Hardaway in 95, 96. We'll do the same thing with Tyler. And then the the part that's going to take up a majority of the podcast is those, the on the fence ones. And that's what's really going to help us pinpoint his range. So let's get started with the list of players that were for sure better than Penny Hardaway. Tyler, I want you to just get comfortable in your seat because this is an incredibly long list. We have Michael Jordan and David Robinson on my end. Is there anyone I need to add? Um, I would add two more personally that okay. are on my for sure list, and that's mm-hmm. Shaq and Hakeem Olajuwon. Those are the two that I think – are also for sure better. I think Mm. Shaq is one of those guys who uh, missed a a decent amount of time that year, if I remember correctly, Mm. but when healthy, I'm a huge Shaq guy. I just think what he brings to the table offensively is just something we really have never seen before and might never see again. And so I'm a huge Shaq guy. And then Hakeem, I do think 96 was the year we kind of start to see the, Mm -hmm. the little downslope, but I do still think um, he was at a level that I'm not sure Penny was at. And so for me, those are the four, uh, as you mentioned, MJ and D Rob, and then I would throw in Shaq and Akeem as well. Okay. Now for the sake of entertainment, 
because I have a lot to say about the Shaq Penny thing. Can we keep Shaq off the definitely better list and save Let's him for it. the Let's last have, fence? Yeah. Okay, Let's have awesome. that discussion. Let's do it. Now, the Hakeem thing. I did end up going with Hakeem. Um, like you mentioned, this is, he peaks probably in the 93, 94-ish time. So he's a little bit yeah. past his peak. Again, his peak's like one of the all-time great peaks ever. So a little bit past his peak is still like really damn good. Um, I think the important thing about Hakeem is, again, it's like the two-way stuff. He's still an incredible defender. I think Robinson's a better defender at this point. Um, still an incredible defender. His passing's gotten better because of the age, you know, the, the institutional knowledge, all that. But the Orlando, I mean, excuse me, the Houston Rockets that year, Clyde Drexler misses 20 plus games. Kenny Smith misses 20 plus games. They have a lot of different guys in and out of the rotation and they have the same win total as they did the year before when they won the NBA championship. And I think that it is because of Hakeem Olajuwon. And I think that was the big thing that kind of indicated to me, okay, he's still like, I, I still believe he's better than Hardaway, but I could understand an argument for if someone had, because Hardaway does play all 82 games and Hakeem only plays 72 or 70, something like that. So I know that plays a factor, but I would still in the end go with Hakeem as well. So we'll keep him on the definitely better. So it's three guys. There's only three guys that you could say without a doubt are better than Penny Hardaway in 95 and 96. Now um, to go to the list of Definitely less impactful. I'm not going to say definitely worse because that's mean, but definitely <laughs> less impactful of the all-stars. I say, and feel free to stop me at any time. Vin Baker, Juwan Howard, Patrick Ewing, Sean Elliott, Jason Kidd, Mitch Richmond, Glenn Rice, John Stockton, who I want to talk about for a second, Clyde Drexler, Dikembe Mutombo, Gary Payton, Grant Hill, and Charles Barkley. What, do you have any differences? Um, those last three, I would bump up to somewhat debatable. Um, we could talk about them if you want. And then I would also throw on uh, Terrell Brandon, uh, point guard. I would, th- I would say he was for sure worse than Penny, personally. All right, let's meet each other in the middle. How about this? I'll add those three into our on the fest discussion: Peyton, Grant Hill, and Barkley. But we also need to keep Terrell Brandon because I want to have the Terrell Brandon conversation. Let's do it. All right, um, I can. I, I could probably see Brandon moving up. I think of those ones you mentioned, um, he'd be the highest of that group mm-hmm. for me. So I could see him moving up. So we could do that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Now, a couple things I wanted to mention. First, in my humble opinion. I think that Jawan Howard and Vin Baker could probably be swapped out for two of these three players in the all-star um, game that season. I think Larry Johnson, Tony Kukoc, and Dennis Rodman all probably had better seasons than them. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I agree. I actually put in my notes that I would take Rodman and Kukoc as my two over Baker mm-hmm. and Howard. So I did actually move them in. Okay. Yeah. So, and then Larry Johnson had a really good offensive season. Yeah. Um, really talented offensive player during his short prime. And then the, I think the same thing applies with um, Sean Elliott. I think that he was just, okay, the Spurs are really good this year and we need a second guy. 
And he was like a really nice scorer, really efficient scorer, but didn't really bring much else to the table at like an all-star or sub-all-star level. I, I honestly would have taken maybe Jeff Hornacek or um, Kevin Johnson over him that season. Yeah, another guy I would throw in there is I think they were a bit premature on Jason Kidd. I'm a huge mm-hmm. Jason Kidd guy, but I do mm-hmm. think this was early. I would have gone with KJ over Kidd and then uh, Jeff over Elliott. So I can agree there. Okay, awesome. And then one guy that I was like, that pretty quickly I kind of crossed off this exercise that I did want to talk about is John Stockton. And I think that this project has kind of made me. There hasn't been a bigger shift, I think, in my perception of a player than the one I have of John Stockton. I think that, I mean, the scoring volume is never anything really too much above league average. I think he's got incredible longevity, first of all, incredible longevity. But I think people overestimate the peak and they overattribute the Jazz's success to Stockton when I think that Carl Malone and Jerry Sloan probably deserve a lion's share of the credit. Um, I think that Stockton is maybe a better playmaker than Hardaway, but and maybe a better defender. But the thing is, Hardaway also has the size advantage. And I mean, size is so important when you're talking about defense. He's he's got about seven inches on the guy. So maybe kid, I mean, maybe Stockton's a little bit more fundamentally sound, but I, I still lead Hardaway on defense during his peak. And then the, I mean the passing, like Hardaway has the advantage of the sight lines. And then with the playmaking, Hardaway has the advantage of, I think he's just a better penetrator, better at getting, you know, paint grabs during his prime. I don't know what you think of all that. Yeah, my thing with Stockton is, and and this will follow up with me arguing why I think Hardaway was actually a better playmaker at this point. But the thing for me with Stockton is, if you look at the Jazz in the playoffs specifically, Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll notice Carl Malone has like this giant downtick in scoring efficiency. And uh, people usually usually use it as a way to like discredit Malone. They're like, "Well, Malone Bill wasn't resilient. He, he yeah. couldn't handle tough defenses." What was actually happening is the Jazz had to start running their offense through Malone because Stockton couldn't pressure as a scorer. Stockton would do the pick and roll. They would just leave it because Stockton's not a threat to get downhill. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a good shooter, but he's not going to burn you with pull up threes. And so there was just this problem where it's like, well, if we run the offense through Stockton, there's no advantage. It's like we're not initiating any advantage. We're not getting any open looks. Uh, so maybe we should start running it through Malone because he actually requires a double team or things like this. And that's what really holds me back from especially this version of Stockton as a playmaker. It's like Penny is going to force the defense to rotate. He's going to collapse the defense. He's going to draw double teams in the post, things like that. Whereas Stockton – Sure, he's one of the best passers ever, a better decision maker for sure. But as you mentioned, when he can't even pressure the defense as a scorer, how much playmaking value are you really getting? It's kind of like the Ben Simmons dilemma. It's like, Mm -hmm. where's the half-court playmaking value when you just can't force the defense to make a decision? Yeah, and I posted this this little uh, poll on Twitter a couple months ago, and it made me laugh. It was, who do you think was better – in the pick and roll, Darren Williams or John Stockton. And it was like unanimously John Stockton. I'm just laughing to myself because like the jazz in the nineties weren't really about the Stockton and Malone pick and roll. It was about, you know, Malone post-ups. It was about 
flex cuts. It was about split action. It was the Jazz succeeded because Malone was a great ISO scorer. He was a great pick and pop guy. He was a great passer. And then Stockton and Hornacek were great shooters and cutters. I think that's why they had such a good offense. And then, of course, Sloan, who is like, he's got some of the best X's and O's in the 90s, if you ask me. Um, So, yeah, I'm pretty, I was like pretty sure about the Stockton one. But, so we've got that done. Now let's get to our main discussion, the on the fence. And you mentioned Terrell Brandon kind of being a quick, not a quick one, but like you had him as like pretty easily Penny's better than him. And I mean, at the end of the day, I agree with you. I think that Penny had a better season, part of it being because of just the eight inch difference between them and, you know, Penny being stronger, being able to take the hits a little bit better. The more, he has more sight line as a passer because the eight inches more value as a defender. But I just want to give Brandon his flowers and read. This is his offensive profile that season. We have, give me a second here. 96th percentile in scoring volume, 74th percentile in scoring efficiency, 96, 92nd percentile in passing, 100th percentile in playmaking, 93rd percentile in spacing, 97th percentile in offensive box plus minus, 91st percentile in plus minus, augmented plus minus. And this is all from uh, Ben Taylor's database. But that's just like such an incredible um, run offensively. And he was such a talented player when he was right. Yeah, he was just absolutely phenomenal. And I think for a 5'11 guy to be that dicey, I mean, I, I I don't know what the numbers on this look like, but but just from experience, uh, you have Chris Paul, but then I can't really think of another super small guard that just does not turn the ball over. Like, this guy's 5'11", an aggressive driver, like getting into the heart mm-hmm. of the defense and making tough decisions. And he's turning the ball over like less than two times a game. That's just insane to me. Like I remember not this season specifically, but there's a Brandon year where he has like nine assists per game on two turnovers. I mean, that's incredible. And I think also uh, to note, Brandon wasn't a bad defender either. He was a solid mm-hmm. defender. So you have a guy who can be like this lead playmaker, decent scoring pressure around 20 a game, uh, efficient, good shooter, and he's not losing anything defensively. Absolutely, I think Brandon was a phenomenal player. I would even say all NBA level this season. I had that I in would- my notes. I would say that Brandon and we're going to talk about him in a little bit. Alonzo Mourning were both snubbed of all NBA team honors this season. I can definitely see that. And I think Brandon as an all NBA level guy, sure. I could throw him into an argument with Penny, but as you mentioned, like the height difference, I also think Penny was a more productive scorer that could have something to do with the size as well. He was just more efficient in different areas. And uh, he also got to the line a lot more. Mm-hmm. So I do think Hardaway has the edge as, as just the scoring productivity, but uh, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from with the Brandon stuff. He was absolutely phenomenal that season. Yeah. I just want to also note that I believe they win 47 games that season and his other, uh, these are, I believe the four other guys who are top five in minutes, Danny Ferry, Chris Mills, Dan Marley, and Michael Cage. So like, I mean, you know, fine, solid players. I'm not saying he carried the team on his back to 47 wins, but not like, you know, an all time supporting cast by any means. So kudos to Brandon. 
Um, next guy I want to talk about is another guy who's been touched upon in this series, uh, volume six, I believe. Yeah, volume six, Sean Kemp. Uh, for what my money's worth, he is the best player on this version of the Seattle Supersonics. I would say on a very well-balanced Supersonics team that has like probably five sub all-star guys, at least so five top 50 guys in the league. Um, he's a very versatile defender who has paint protecting prowess. He's got the ability to play the passing lanes. He can switch. Um, he's a, a really good play finisher, but the things that kind of turned me away and gave Penny the edge, ultimately, uh, he doesn't really have much passing or playmaking to speak of. He doesn't have like a, what you'd call a bag in the post. He doesn't have too many tricks. He just really had the power spin move. And then his defense is really good. Maybe all NBA, all, all league level, but he's not, not in the same realm as like morning Ewing, Elijah Wan and Robinson. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I pretty much agree with everything you said. Sean Kemp was one of the ultimate play finishers. Like he kind of uh, paved the way for like an Amari Stoudemire, for example. Mm-hmm. With with the although Stoudemire obviously expanded upon that role a lot more, but uh, yeah, Kemp has like a pick and roll partner, a guy who can pop to the mid range, um, and, and just lethal finisher at the rim. I think the main thing there, I do agree with him being the best player on the Sonics that season, and I would say that. Uh, I agree that his defense wasn't quite to the level of like a, a true anchor um, because that was such a well-rounded team. They had pieces everywhere. And I think they kind of was able to cover up the fact that he wasn't a top tier rim protector or paint defender. And uh, yeah, I agree with Penny being better than Kemp, but while we're on the topic of the Sonics, I also want to shout out Hersey Hawkins and Detlef Shrimp because those are two other guys that I actually considered uh, for all-stars this year. And I think mm-hmm. that whole team, like that team was phenomenal. That team was just amazing. No, it's um, I talked to Ivan Kelly. He's a, he was a scout for the Sonics for 15 years. And he was telling me one time that him and the general manager, Wally Walker, they're just, they were just like complaining because they're like, man, like almost any other season in NBA history, this is a championship team. But of course we go up against, you know, maybe the greatest team ever in the finals. Yeah but just such a great team from top to bottom. And I think this is important. We're going to talk about it when we get to Gary Payton. Honestly, we'll have the Gary Payton discussion right now. Did we? Yeah, we said we would have the Gary Payton discussion. So we're going to have that. But there's not like one individual piece driving that defense, if you ask me. I think it's like really like synergistic. Um, I think they have a bunch of good defenders. Kemp, Sam Perkins, Hershey Hawkins, Nate McMillan, Gary Payton. And then, of course, like a, a revolutionary defensive coach in Coach Kloppenberg with that SOS pressure defense. So, like, it's just I just have a really hard time giving anyone like a great deal of credit. Like, I feel like and it does happen because Kemp leaves them in two years and Vin Baker, who's not really that good of a defender, comes in and they're still like the 10th best defense in the league that season. So, like. I don't know. I just like, it just kind of goes to show that it's not like one guy driving things. And that's why I ultimately went with, I was, it was pretty easy for me, honestly, Penny over Peyton, Gary Peyton, because Peyton hadn't reached his offensive peak yet. That comes in a couple more years. Um, passing wise, they're probably on the same plane. I'd still say Penny just because the height, again, that just gives him such an advantage. And then defensively, like, I think people, overvalue Peyton's defense. 
honestly, I talked about this with Cody. I think that peak Jason Kidd's defense is probably a little bit more valuable than peak Penny, uh, Pay- Gary Payton. And so it's because of things like that that I ultimately land on Penny over Payton pretty easily. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And I agree with Kidd being the better defender because I think Kidd does a lot more off the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's the main thing with Peyton. He's like this tenacious, like he kind of embodies like what the 90s were about, this tenacious, aggressive man defender. And I think people really value that. That's why he won a defensive player of the year. But I don't even think he was the best defender on that team. Um, I think it was Kemp. And I do think this was his the best defensive season. I Like three steals a game. He mm-hmm. was because he hadn't taken the offensive leap yet, he had a higher motor, but uh, it's that offensive leap that ultimately just holds me back on him. I mean, in a couple of years, he improved in literally every area. He became a better scorer, playmaker, shooter. Um, And with that, his defense started to downtick. And I think if you're talking about a guy who peaked on offense and defense at the same time in this season, Peyton could probably end up over Penny. But uh, when we're talking about Peyton at his defensive peak, but still missing a lot on offense, uh, I ultimately also went with Penny. But again, I have Peyton in like that low to mid-tier All-NBA level, so I kind of just threw him in this group. But uh, yeah, I would agree Penny had a decent edge. Another thing I want to mention, whenever you're analyzing uh, players from this Sonics team, I would be careful about the steal numbers just because it's like, it's just juiced because the way they used to play defense, it was kind of oh, yeah. lending itself to getting a lot of steals, just a lot of a lot of gambling, a lot of double teaming, just very aggressive. But um, so yeah, that's so we're good with Kemp and Payton. We both think that Penny's over them. Next, let's move to let's do Charles Barkley next. Because again, for me, this one was pretty easy. Uh, he's never like a really good defender for his size. And he's, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, not the kind of guy who really took care of his body. So, you know, he wasn't aging too well. Um, still a really good passer. I think he fell off a little bit from that early to mid nineties. And then his scoring is still solid, but he's kind of lost some of that efficiency juice. And I just think that this version of Barkley, I think he's just a couple of years past his prime. I think if, this is like between 90 and 93. It's a different conversation, but I just think right now Barkley's probably like a high level all-star where Penny will kind of get to that in a little bit is, is a hair above that, you know? Yeah. My thing with Barkley is uh, I just, it's kind of weird to me how this guy can just, how you have a what six, six overweight power forward. And he gives you the paint scoring juice that he does. Like I remember mm-hmm. I saw tracking, uh, someone tracked Barkley's paint scoring in the early nineties and it was like 79% in the paint, which is what you'll see from like peak LeBron, peak Shaq, Giannis. And I'm just like, what? And he paired that with just awesome passing. And I, I do think at his peak, I mean, he's one of the best probably three, four offensive bigs ever. And I thought about, how his progression throughout the nineties went. And ultimately I landed on Barkley as an all NBA level guy. But as you said, I think at this point he was a negative on defense, um, especially for his position. I think there was just nothing there. And I, like you said, his scoring started to fall off. This is when Barkley started to uh, think he was a jump shooter, which was weird. Like he would take corner mid ranges and fadeaways and threes. And it was like, okay, dude, what's going on here? Um, 
I, I still think he was a very good scorer. Like he was still mm-hmm. giving you like 20, 23 a game on good efficiency. And of course, a great passer. But ultimately, when you have like this weird tendency offensive big who's not giving you this all-time scoring juice on top of being a negative defender, uh, yeah, I also landed on Penny here. Yeah, and also I want to say, well, first of all, I want to know, you've got to send me whoever tracked the, the Barkley stuff because I'm really curious to see that. But um, another thing, like you look at his block rates, they kind of go up. But that's because like the Suns just don't have any defensive personnel and he kind of ends up playing the role of rim protector. And that's not like necessarily a good thing. It's yeah. just like, it's kind of by necessity. And you could see like they have like a bottom six or seven defense in the league. I don't know how many teams are in the league this season. It's like 29, I think, 28 or 29. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. So both me and you are kind of like, okay, you know, pretty much Penny over Barkley. Now the next one, very similar game to Penny. Um, Another guy who's kind of like a huge what if. It's like kind of a tragic figure in the NBA lore. But Grant Hill, I'm going to let you go first this time just, you know, to change things up. I am a huge Grant Hill guy. Like Mm. Grant Hill is one of my favorite players ever. I think he was in many ways LeBron before LeBron. Like you have this super freak athlete uh, jumbo forward who's like, a point forward, like an actual really good facilitator, can score from pretty much anywhere on the floor on top of being one of the most versatile defenders in the league. I think Grant Hill was just absolutely phenomenal. But in this 96 season, I do think this was just a year too early. I think if we're talking about 97 Hill, this is a very different discussion. I think I would be much higher on him. But 96 Hill, I don't think he was quite at that level as a scorer yet. Um... And for me, that just holds him uh, one level below Penny. And I think if we're talking, like I said, if we're talking about peak Grant Hill, I think he's in the same tier, like pretty switchable for me. But uh, yeah, Hill this season, I mean, jumbo point forward with elite defense to me is just like such a good player. And I think he was very underrated due to those pretty lackluster Pistons teams in the late 90s. Yeah, so I'm pretty much there with you. I think that, this version of Hill is like 85, 90% of what we see next year. And it's funny you mentioned their peaks being similar because 95, 96, Penny Hardaway finishes third in MVP voting. And I believe Grant Hill finishes fourth the next year, third or fourth. It's one or the other, but it's just funny how similar they are stylistically and um, like just statistically. But uh, Cody Hodek, uh, who I had on for the Carolina Pod, he actually went a deep dive on Grant Hill and he's watched a lot more Grant Hill than I have. And while in my recollection, I would say Grant Hill was like a pretty good defender for his offensive load. Cody was a little bit um, lower on his defense. And if that is the case, I would say that even 97 Hill is still a little bit below 96 Hardaway, but that's, I think that's, that's just yeah, I think from that's going fair. off Cody's analysis. Yeah. I think that's fair. I just, uh, I, I think, Hill was kind of uh, defensively. I think he was a pretty decent defensive playmaker, but for me, what stands out is that he was just very flexible. You could kind of just deploy him anywhere on the floor and expect good results. And I think again, those Pistons teams were so lackluster that I think when we talk about his defense, you want to take it with a grain of salt. Mm. I think Hill's the type of guy that you plug into like, for example, we were talking about the Sonics. I think if you plug Grant Hill into like a team like the Sonics, he looks like a clear all defense level guy to me. And I just think that's where I differ is that I think uh, the team construct kind of 
highlighted areas where he might not have been able to perform as well. Yeah. I guess that's a discussion for a different day. The 97 Hill versus 96 Hardaway. But for now, we'll, in 1996, Hill was not at Penny's level. So me and Tyler are both comfortable saying Penny over Hill. Next up, and this one, another guy, we talk about him in volume four of Blazing the Trail, Reggie Miller. And this is kind of where we get the debate of on-ball versus off-ball, but they both have the other thing a little bit too. You know, Penny's more of an on-ball guy, but he has the off-ball juice. I talked about the cutting, the catch and shoot, the post-up game, um, the offensive rebounding. And then Miller's like off-ball, but he also has like the triple threat and he can kind of get to the rim in less than two dribbles. Uh, he can run the pick and roll a little bit. The things that kind of differentiated the two of them for me is that Reggie Miller has like this off-ball Steph Curry-esque gravity that allows him to be a playmaker indirectly because guys are so worried about his shooting that they leave other people open. But even that, I think, is just a smidge below the kind of playmaking you got from Hardaway this season. Plus, I just like Hardaway's defensive playmaking more. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about Reggie all day. This is one of my all-time favorites. I think he is like – Reggie Miller is the gold standard for like, man, if he was in a different era, he'd be so much more appreciated. Like if he Mm -hmm. played today, we'd be talking about him so differently. I think Reggie is uh, very interesting in the the way that the Pacers were able to build an elite playoff offense consistently around a guy's movement. Like – Tons of action starting on the baseline, running up towards the top of the key and just like making a quick decision, shooting on the move, things like that. Uh, Obviously, one of the best three-point and mid-range shooters ever. Had a lethal floater that could go all the way to the three-point line, which is like crazy to me. Like this dude was doing one dribble floaters from 20 feet out. Um, Got to the line in an amazing amount for a perimeter player. Uh, One of the most efficient scorers ever. Like just bar none, like one of the most productive playoff scorers ever. But as you mentioned, the, the the playmaking juice just wasn't there. You can't build the same type of offense around Reggie where it's like, uh, go create, uh, like, like grab the ball and go create. The Pacers had passing at every position, which I think was able to unlock Reggie a ton. Whereas with Penny, you can probably slant a little bit more defensively or even like surround him with more off ball guys and still get the same offensive juice. So yeah, for me, ultimately, I, I just lean Penny because of the playmaking disparity there where it's like with Penny, you can kind of just ask him to create uh, at a level that Reggie just couldn't. And I, I think of Reggie as just more of like a prime length and longevity, like amazing career guy, as opposed to like the super high peak, whereas with Penny, you're getting that high peak. Mm-hmm. No, I 100% agree. Um you know, we talked about Penny having both the floor raising and ceiling raising juice. I think Miller only had the ceiling raising juice. I don't think he was much of a floor raiser. But, and, you know, forgive me for putting you on the spot, but I think this is a good way for us to both kind of appreciate Miller's greatness. Of all the guys we've talked about so far, comparing against Penny, I would say I would put Miller this season above all of them. I think I would. What Over the guys you? we've talked about so far? Um, yeah, like Brandon Kemp, um, Peyton, Barkley, and Hill. And yeah. 
I think I would agree. I think uh, Reggie would be my number one here with a very close number two to Sean Kemp. Uh, I agree. On, on I agree list, with you, dude. List. We are on the same wavelength and I, I'm, I, I'm kind of freaked out by it because we <laughs> never really talked um, in a podcast setting before. So we shouldn't have this, this same synergy going. Um, but I love it still. So yeah. thank you. Okay. So that's the end of the, the ones where I was like pretty sure about Penny. The rest are like either I go against Penny or it's super close. Is, are you in the same pretty much boat? Um, I would have one more guy that I'm pretty confident in Reggie being above. And I think you're going to get to him next. So I'll wait uh, until we get to him. But uh, yeah, I think there are some other guys that I agree with uh, are very like either I prefer them over Penny or right there. Okay. You know what? Honestly, why don't you just tell me who the guy is? Because I think um, we're on the same. I think we have the same. Morning. It's close. It's really I close. Think, I think uh, we can we can start the discussion right now. I think uh, Alonzo Mourning peaked higher than Penny, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in like the very late nineties, like two thousand. But I don't think this was the year that Alonzo took that leap to all time great defender. I think that happened in ninety seven. So for me in 96, I mean, you still have all the offensive issues. Like this guy's averaging, what, four turnovers a game with like one assist. He's just not a real like offensive hub. Pretty good post score, but does improve in a couple of years, get, becomes more efficient. Um, and like I said, I don't think this was the year he took that huge defensive step. I think that was the next season. So for me, Lon- Alonzo Mourning lands in like that solid, strong All-NBA level. But uh, I do think Penny is just a tier above him this season. Okay. Okay, so here's my thing. This season with Morning, wait first. Okay, first, really quickly, Morning or Miller this season? I'm just curious. Uh, I, I think they're both in like that same that same uh, realm. I would probably lean Miller. Okay, okay, I would lean. Okay, Miller. so I th- I think I might just be a little bit higher on Morning because, I mean. The team this year around him isn't all that yet. Still get the, the sixth best defense in the league. I think he's close to like, I think he's better than Ewing this year defensively. Ewing's starting to slow down a little bit and he has like a, a really defensively slanted roster around him. Yeah. And then, I mean, Hakeem's like just one of the Goliaths when it comes to defense, but Morning has like he's really mobile for his like size. You would think a guy that 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 bulky wouldn't have the footwork he has, but he does. So just a really really good defender. You know, one of the three best defenders in the league this season, in my opinion, maybe four with Matumbo. I know we kind of brushed over Matumbo, but it's right. They're all kind of right there for me. But these are like four of the best defenders ever. We're talking about with Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, Alonzo Morning, and Matumbo. But he's right there, and then offensively. He pretty much has Ewing's scoring volume, but his efficiency is better than Ewing's Shaq's this season. It's better than Elijah Wan's. And he does have like a more of a floor raiser profile because he's not that good of a passer. And, you know, his jump shot is, it is what it is. It's solid, but like, it's not, you know, it's nothing to write home about. It's not Malone's. So that's like what ultimately was like, okay, Penny's like just, it's just a little bit easier to build a championship level team around this guy. Like even when you kind of got a championship level team the following season, 
when Hardaway was like right. And then they put a little bit better piece around them, added Dan Marley. They were still like a barely above average offense. And that kind of, I think part of it's just because morning that he has some limitations as an offensive player. He doesn't have like, for example, he doesn't have that, uh, that bag of tricks that Hakeem Olajuwon had in the low post, you know? Yeah, and and that's the thing with me for morning. I think it's a lot harder to construct a real offense mm. around a guy like that because he's getting a ton of post touches, but he's what he's like one of the few guys I think of when I hear the term like black hole. Like once the ball goes down to him, it's not coming out. And I think mm. that was a huge problem in the playoffs. I think one of the reasons the Heat playoff offenses always looked really really weak is because morning's eating up all these possessions and because the teams know it's not going to come back out they just hone in on that scoring like he draws a ton of attention but he's shooting into it so his efficiency drops um he has a few playoff runs averaging like almost five turnovers and for me that's just like kind of icky like I i don't know that's not my style of offense but um as you said i mean one of the few handful defensive anchors of that season and of that era really who are just one of the best ever, especially as a shot blocker and post defender. Um, yeah, I think morning for me, just, I'm just not too, not a huge fan of the offense, especially in, in this year. I think he gets better in a couple of years, but uh, yeah, for me, morning just lands uh, a tier below penny, as I said before. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it's just that physique is so awesome, man. It's kind of hard not to love him. So maybe I give him a couple extra points, but just some of the best biceps, of that era uh, goes without saying. So did you but, land on land on Penny or Alonzo? Yeah, Penny. Oh, did, Penny? I'm sorry okay. if I didn't make that clear. I still went with Penny, but I was okay. just, he was one of my closer ones. I'm like, huh, am I going to, am I going to do this with morning? But um, and ultimately it was Penny. Now okay. the next guy where it's close, but again, I ultimately land on Penny is the Robin to Michael Jordan's Batman. Oh, Scotty Pippen. You disagree with me? I do. I'm okay. I'm in the boat that they are the exact same tier, but I am a huge Pippin guy. I think this mm-hmm. is pr- arguably Pippin at his best. Um, I think with Pippin, I, I do think he was limited due to the role he was kind of forced to play in within that era. I think when you think of Pippin, you kind of think of the wing stopper point of attack, like lockdown on the man. But I really think Pippen had the capability to be like that Draymond Green defensive playmaker. Like, especially if you watch the 98 finals, this guy was, oh my gosh, like the Jazz, they couldn't do anything. That's why they had like a 50 point game because Mm -hmm. this guy Pippen is everywhere. And I think without the illegal defense, we would have seen a whole different level of Pippen. And although I do rank players relative to Aaron, I'm ranking relative to that season. I do try to... I do try to give some leeway there. I do think Pippen is one of the few non-bigs who I think can actually anchor a defense. And to me, that's just so valuable, especially when you have a have still productive scoring, amazing transition play, a, a really good playmaking hub who can also play off the ball, play off of Jordan. Um, to me, Pippen is just, uh, I'll say it, I think he's the most versatile player ever. And for me, that versatility is just, so valuable. Mm, no. So I agree with everything you said. I think, but I think that Pippen's thing on defense is that he kind of like reminds me of Kemp where he's, so the Bulls finished first in defensive efficiency that year. And Pippen is by my eye, the best defender on that team. 
I think you'd agree, right? Yeah. The thing is though, that team is very well constructed for playing defense. You know, you have Michael Jordan, who has a really good defensive season, Ron Harper, um, Dennis Rodman, Luke Longley, he gets, you know, he gets cooked a lot, but there's a reason he played a lot of minutes on those those teams. He's got the size, he's got good hands, he's smart. Um, You know, Kukoc, he had the European uh, defensive awareness that just, I feel like every European player has. But, um, so I think like Pippen is the best defender, but like it's a really great defensive roster. And then like for the era, again, he wasn't allowed because of the legal defense rules. And he was good at like cheating the rules a little bit, but he wasn't allowed to to fully express himself, we'll say. And then the thing is, it's just, there is a limit. And I kind of learned this with Kirilenko. There's a limit to, and I think Pippen's a better defender than Kirilenko. Let's get this straight. But there's a limit to how how much of an impact you can have as a non-big man on defense. I agree, yeah. And I think it's that. So I think that he is definitely a better defender than Penny. But I think it's that limit. And then the fact that offensively he is limited as an on-ball scorer and the efficiency is not not in the same ballpark as Penny's. I think it's because of that that I ultimately landed on Penny. But again, it was super close. And I can understand why you would go with Pippen. And I'm going to... We're going to say that Pippen is over Penny just to expand our range a little bit when we go back and do the little range thing. So we'll say if you are, if you're super high on Penny, he's better than Pippen. But if you're like a little bit more low on Penny, Pippen's better than Penny. If that yeah, makes sense. I agree hundred percent there. And I do uh, think that Pippen definitely had his half court limitations, uh, mm-hmm. especially as a scorer. And I think, in the 96 playoffs specifically, if I remember correctly, I could be getting my years wrong. Um, he had a disaster of an offensive playoffs for whatever reason. I can't, I haven't really gone into it. So uh, I do think there are definitely signs and reasons to pick Penny. And that's why I have them in the exact same tier. Like these two are like, when, when it comes to like what, what we've talked about, uh, Penny and Pippen are so much closer than any of the other guys on each, either side. I think these two are like, no matter where I rank them, I do think they're back to back. So I think hundred yeah. percent, I can see Penny being better. Okay. Awesome. So that is for anyone paying attention. That's four guys. Now we've, we've kind of picked over Penny. We have Michael Jordan, David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Scotty Pippen. Next up, before we get into Shaq, uh, the last guy we have not talked about is Carl Malone. And I just want to point out that just like Penny Hardaway, he plays all 82 games so that can't be used against him. I want you to go first, um, Tyler, partially because my voice is really just taking me down right now. Um, I, I think people tend to forget that this 96 version of the Jazz was actually the statistically the best version of the Jazz we ever saw. Mm. Um, as you mentioned, this was the year that the Sonics were just so good. And the, and the West in general in 96 was just amazing. So... I do think the the Jazz had an easier path to get to the finals in 97 and 98. And that's why people tend to think of those teams first. But 96, I think you could argue, is Carl Malone's best season. Um, As I mentioned before, his scoring efficiency in the playoffs looks bad because they're asking him to do so much more. But as a post player, uh, post and screen player who can roll, pop, uh, he's got a good jumper, he's a good passer. Um, 
very good at getting to the line. Uh, just, just a phenomenal scorer, like one of the best volume scores we've ever seen and a legitimate playmaking hub at times uh, on top of a guy who was just a very, very, uh, I don't want to say he was like an all defensive level guy, but he was just a solid defender. Like he had the pull the chair move. He was really strong. He was mobile. The swipe um, down. The swipe down. Yeah. Malone, especially as a man defender was just really bringing value to the table. And for me, uh, one of the best offensive bigs ever, arguably at his peak, uh, with very, very strong defense. To me, I did end up with Malone on this one. Um, I want to say that, you know, I got to talk to Coach Nate McMillan for the Sean Kemp episode. And if you recall, in 96, they go seven games with the Utah Jazz. And McMillan tells me, he's like, part of the reason we lost the against the Bulls is because the Jazz just took a lot out of us. I mean, McMillan gets hurt in that series and he's not the same. He only plays half the series against the Bulls in 96. So it just shows you like this Jazz team was right there. And if like a couple bounces go their way, they're in the finals in 96. And yeah. this is a team that's made the finals three years in a row. And like we established, I give more credit to Malone and Sloan for the Jazz's, that rhymes by the way, Malone and Sloan. But um, the Jazz is kind of run through the 90s and that like just consistent run of dominance. Um, and then, like you said, the man defense in that era where post-ups and clear outs are so important. I think that's that's really important. He's not, he's not even as good of a defender as Sean Kemp, if you ask right. me. But I think it's okay just because of how much juice he brings offensively. He is... Out of all the big men we talked about, the best passer this year, I would say. Yeah, I can agree best with that passer. Sure. He he's he's a good enough passer to work in Sloan's offense, which requires so much quick decision making, so many reads, so much screening and cutting. Um, so I think that that with the longevity, with the load he's asked to take, with the two way dominance, I'm going to take Malone over Penny Hardaway like you. So, yeah, so we agree but it is so, it is so, so close. Like I could, I could definitely see an argument for Penny there. So that gives us five guys now that we're relatively comfortable with putting over Penny Hardaway. Okay. Yep. Agree with that. Now that, that leaves us with the last guy, Shaquille O'Neal. And before I let you get into it, I know how you feel about it, but I pulled up some stats and so Anthony Simons plays 28 games total without Shaquille O'Neal during the 95-96 regular season. They win 70, 71.5% of their games. And in contrast with O'Neal, they win 74% of their games. So that makes sense. O'Neal's an incredible player. Of course, he'll win more games without him. But that's super damn close. And then without O'Neal, Penny Hardaway shows us the floor raising I was talking about. 25.5 points, 6.5 assists. 62.5% true shooting, just bonkers for that era. And even with O'Neal, he's still awesome. 20 points, 7.5 assists, 59% true shooting. So for me, I think that I think that Penny playing 28 games more, Penny showing that floor raising, showing that ability to keep the magic afloat and playing really damn good basketball without Shaquille O'Neal. Penny... Penny's on-ball, off-ball package that we talked about, his ability to fit in with Shaq, I think all of that gives him 
a slight edge over Shaquille O'Neal this season. And I will say, I will caveat that, that caveat that with, I'll caveat that with, I don't think Shaq's peaked yet. I don't think his, he's seen enough double teams yet. I think he's still missing something as a passer. I don't think he's this, I don't think he's, I think he's hampered a little bit by his injury. You see, he's only like plus three relative true shooting in that season, which is, you know, not the plus five, plus seven you start to see with the Lakers during his peak years. And I just think all that, this little, little bit diminished version of Shaq, this disgruntled version of Shaq, because of that, I think I'd take Penny, but I, I definitely understand your argument. What do you think of all of I just said? Um, before I get into the Shaq stuff, I'm really glad you mentioned the Penny production without him because I had this in my notes as well. I just want to throw some numbers out there just to put a shine a light onto how brilliant Penny, Penny was when he was asked to be that number one guy. Um, from 1994 to 1996, so that little three-year run, mm. uh, Shaq missed 32 games. In those games, Penny averaged 26-5-6 and six on – from the field, 36% from three. He got to the line over nine nine times a game. So this is a guy who's ramping up the aggression, getting to the paint more, uh, really serving as that huge creator. And in those games, the Magic went 23-9 and and had a plus-four team offense. So this this is a guy who's like really bringing a ton of offensive juice. And I think... That's kind of what you were alluding to. Like you could plug and play Shaq and he'll be that elevator, but you're you're saying Penny was the driving force. And I can definitely see that. Like I definitely see where you're coming from. But for me, um, like I said, I'm a huge Shaq guy. He's one of my like few players who I'm just so high on. And for me, Shaq is just like one of one, like this, this gravitational machine where it's like you dump the ball to him in the post and boom, all eyes are on Shaq. Like everything revolves around this guy. And uh, of course it wasn't at the level it would get to in a couple of years where like, I think Shaq has a top three peak of all time. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I yeah, I think uh, this is definitely not that, that Shaq. But I do think Shaq at this point was really mobile. Like you see him a lot in transition, which is weird. Uh, Shaq in transition is definitely weird. And I think, uh, yeah, he definitely wasn't at that level of passing yet, but I do think he was still a high-quality big man passer. Um, and then, of course, just this this massive presence down low that just is just a phenomenal paint, paint guy. And on top of, uh, I do think he was a very good de- defender this season. I think this is when he was one of the best shot blockers in the league. Um, still had his issues, still was like questionable motor. But uh, for me, Shaq's bringing two-way value. I think he's already an all-time great offensive big man at this point. Uh, to, to compare it to a guy, I do think he was better on offense and defense than Carl Malone this season. So take with that, take that with a grain of salt uh, on how I feel about Shaq this season. Okay. Okay. I, I like everything you said there. Um. So again, we're going to do what we did with Pippen. We're going to put Shaq over Penny to kind of establish a more realistic range. So that would give us six guys that if you're like lower on Penny, you would think are better than Penny that season. That would be Shaquille O'Neal, Scottie Pippen, Carl Malone, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, and Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But if you are super high on Penny, 
then we could say that he's the fourth best player in the league between after Jordan Robinson and Hakeem, probably in that order, to be honest. But um, so that four to seven range, and that's, that's basically like a fringe MVP guy, a solid first, like a fringe first team, solid, like all NBA guy, basically. And that, that's basically the whole point of this exercise. I mean, we've been talking about some of the heaviest hitters to ever like grace this game. And Penny was right there in the thick of things with them. And he was still what, like 25, 26 years old. Like he still had time to be better. It's his third season. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, and the thing is we talked about Penny, like you said something perfectly. Like when Shaq goes down, he, he ramps up the aggression and that's something that in today's game, we probably see even more of, cause I feel like he was still, you know, he talked to some of his like teammates and coaches. He was still reining it in a little bit. He was still worried about his perception. He needed to get guys going, you know, he was worried about that stuff. And when Shaq was, was out, you kind of got to see what Penny could really do. And then again, we get to see it one more time. His little last stanza against the Miami heat in the 97 playoffs the year after where he, he just goes bonkers on, on them and almost beats the team that makes the conference finals, but just a sensational player. And I mean, he deserves every bit of praise that anyone could give him. Yeah. He just, he's one of those guys who uh, just doesn't get enough credit and it's, it's just because of the injuries and uh, injuries suck. But as you said, like this is one of those best peaks ever like he's just an absolute phenomenal player he was 24 in the 96 season so there was still so much room I think even you see it in Phoenix um in Phoenix he looked like just this much sharper defensive player than he was in Orlando like like really locked in and it's like well if you take this Orlando offensive player and you account for that defensive growth I mean we're talking about one of the best players ever and I think that's the real silver silver lining here. This is one of the best players ever. And um, one of the real prototypes for the modern era of basketball. Like you see so many guys today uh, get compared to Penny or, or say that they mold their game after Penny. And that's because he can do it all. He was just absolutely amazing. 100% agree. And I think one of my goals with this series is to take these perceived um, tragic figures in NBA history and, kind of shine some light and say like, Hey, yeah, things could have been a lot better for them in terms of like, you know, health or era they played in. But when they played and they were right, they were super damn good. Like Karolinko, people are always like, if Karolinko played in today's game, he would be so awesome. Well, Karolinko in 2004 is like a fringe top 10 player. So he did get to fulfill at least in terms of peak that kind of promise. And the same goes with Penny. When he was right, he was one of the best. And I think that's what everyone should really remember. 100% agree with everything you said. Well, Tyler, I I really appreciate you, brother. Um, I'm glad we got to pot it out. Uh, I think we should spend the rest of our lives going every over every single season in NBA history like this. And just so that we can have a top 25 for every, a Seth Partnow top 25 for every season ever. Yeah, no, 100%. Can't disagree there. Really quickly for, you know, for people who stumble upon this, who might not have gotten to witness Penny firsthand, you know, are more like with the folklore and stuff of his reputation. Can you give a breakdown, a synopsis of his game? What really popped about him? Well, you 
you know, when we first, when, when the draft first happened, you know, we had the first pick uh, in the draft that year, and we chose Chris Webber. And we made the trade. Penny was the third pick for Golden State, so we made the trade with Golden State uh, with Penny. And a lot of people were, you know, their eyebrows were raised when that happened. But if you think about it, and this this is no knock on Chris Webber because I think he was a heck of a player in college and, and his tenure in the pros. But when he was coming out of college, he wasn't known as a – he had that elbow jump shot. Uh, he was more known as a back-to-the-basket player, as uh, if I would, you know, would say so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but making that, that, that trade with Golden State, I think it was – it was it, it was big for us, and and Penny coming out of Memphis State can do everything, you know, inside outside, big guard, six seven and a half, six eight can pass, you know, he's pegged as the next Magic Johnson the way he passed the ball, uh, just could do a lot of things, uh, and, and a point guard, six seven and a half, six eight, athletic had an advantage over most of the point guards at that time because of his size and his athleticism. But I think it was a great trade. And I, I have to throw this in. I'll I never forget when that trade was made. I got a call from my dad when that trade was made. He said, man, y'all just got a hell of a player in Penny Hardaway. So with that being said, I think Penny held his own from day one. Mm-hmm. He, he he was a he was a big part of our, our success early in his career, early in my career, because I had been in the league what five years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he, he was a big part of uh, the Magic success, and uh, I must say that he helped my game a whole lot. He took a lot of pressure off of me because of the things that he can do, creating for himself and getting to the basket and creating for for the rest of the guys. So there's there's not enough that I can say about the young man because uh, he was a hell of a player. He was he, and he, more so he was a hell of a person. So yeah, I enjoy playing with him. Yeah, and I want to. You said a lot of great stuff right there, and I really appreciate it. But I want to focus on one word you said that really just kind of tells the story about Penny. Everything. You said everything. He could do everything offensively. Three level scorer could play on and off the ball. He could cut. He could play in the post. Creative passer. All of this stuff. Would you? I'm going to make a statement. I want to hear if you agree with me. In Orlando, I'm not talking about L.A. Shaq. L.A. Shaq was one of the four or five best offensive players that ever lived, right? But in Orlando, if you ask me, Penny Hardaway was. When he was at his best, he was like the best offensive player you guys had. Would you agree with me? Oh, oh no question about it. Uh, I'm not, you know, and I would never take anything away from the big fella because the big fella was dominant. Mm-hmm. But here, here you got a guy that you can put on the floor. Can if you want to go small ball back then, he can really play four positions. He could really do that if you chose to play small ball at that time. It wasn't nothing that he couldn't do. He was just a, he was a force to be reckoned with. He was, I would say, and, and, and some people might agree, some may disagree. But to me, Penny Hardaway 
was special. Yeah, I agree. He was a, he a special. You don't find those many players that come along like that. He was special. I agree with you there, 100%. I pulled up a stat for our conversation. That year, 1995-96, right? Shaq misses 28 games with that injury. Misses a big, a big part of the beginning of the season. You guys go 20-8 and eight without Shaq. So basically the same winning pace you guys were playing at with Shaq. And Penny Hardaway averages like 25.5 points, 6.5 assists per game. He's 63% true shooting, something like that. How were you guys able to still be a really, really good team when Shaq was injured for a big part of that season. Well, well when you when you put the ball in his hands, again, uh, we, we touched on this on several different occasions. Mm-hmm. When you put the ball in his hands, he could do anything. And I, when I say anything, I, I mean he could do anything. He created for himself. And, and what, I'm, I'm, what I like about Penny Hardaway more than anything is what he was the type of player that he wanted to get everybody their touches in their sweet spots and get them going early. So, hey, I got Horace going. I got Nick going. I got Dennis going. I got Shaq going. That's the way, that's the player he was. He wasn't a selfish player by any means. He never thought about himself first. It was always a team with him. He got everybody involved. Now, I want to say this, and you, I want to hear your thoughts on this because you know about it more than I do. But during that time period, the people like the the traditional point guard was like uh, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas. You know, they're more pass first, set your teammates up. And yeah, Penny was a great passer. But even more than that, he was this incredible scorer. And I know when he was younger, there was some pushback. He's more of a two guard than a point guard, things of that nature. And in today's game, it seems silly because our point guards can do everything. You know, they could score and pass. Can you explain to me what the culture was like back then about the upbringing of point guards, what was expected of them, and why Penny was different than that? Well, well, you just touched on it. You know, guys, you know, pass first and and that type of uh, player. But Penny would pass the ball. You know, he was not selfish by any means, but he he like he'll get the ball to the guy that's closer to the basket, the guy that's open. Uh, it it was just the the way he went about it. You know, uh, he was he, he was a floor general at six seven and a half six eight. He could see over most of the guys that he, he that that went against him at the the uh, point guard. But for them to say that he was a two guard. I beg to differ. I really do. I really, you know, I wouldn't put no position on him. He was a basketball player, you know, back back then in in the nineties. You know, you just can't say, "Oh, he's just a point guard." No, you can say that about a lot of guys today. The only thing they can do is pass the ball and 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 and, and get guys involved, but. He can do everything. He can defend. He can rebound. He can pass. He can post up. He can shoot. He, he did it all. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I agree with you 100%. You said, like you said, there's no position on him. And that makes him the perfect player for today's game. You know, positionless basketball. We always talk about that. What was Penny Hardaway in 1995, you know? He was just Penny Hardaway. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
No, I, I agree. It's <laughs> just Penny Hardaway. He, he, was, he was just special, man. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not the, you know, when I, when I talk to people like yourself and other people about him, it brings a, it brings a smile to my face because he was just special. He was just special. Yeah, I can tell that you're, you're kind of uh, really speaking of him in a joyful tone. Speaking of, yeah. of uh, like modern concepts, right? And I'm sure as you look back on it, you're like, damn, we were really ahead of our time. But from what I noticed, you guys did such a great job for that era of spacing the floor, you know, shot a lot of threes for the era. Was that something you guys were actively like prioritizing? Like, hey, we want to space the floor. We want to give Penny room to work. I, I, and I, and I, when, I, when I say this, I, uh, I want to be honest. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case at all. We were just playing basketball. We had shooters on the side, outside. We know that we can get shots. We had the big fella in the middle. We had horns. There was an elbow, a uh, corner, uh, four that can knock down the shot. You know, we knew that Penny can 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 create and, and get his shot at any point. But we didn't look at it like that. Well, we just gonna stand out here and shoot threes. No, that wasn't our case. These guys posted up. We we exploited a lot of mismatches. Uh, Smaller, smaller guy on a, on a big guy, or that type of stuff. We we really didn't just talk about. Hey, we just got to space the floor and get a, a shack room to to dominate a penny room to create. We just played basketball. We took advantage of opportunities, the mismatches that were there. We took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at the, the game today. That's what they focus on. Is, is is the big man's now they out there shooting threes. We didn't we didn't we didn't focus on that. We just played basketball. If you had a, a, a six foot point guard on Penny, we would call we had a play called one down mm. with Penny would go in the post. I think I know we what you're talking play. about. Yeah. Is it we the... had a we had a we had a play for myself called two five twenty five where uh, Shaq would start on, on the post and he'd come across and set a screen and I'd catch a smaller man in the post and post up. We just took a, a advantage of the, the mismatches. That's what, you know, exploiting your mismatches. And I, I wish guys today would do that, you know. When you have a, a big man on, on on a Chris Paul trying to guard him out on the, on, on the perimeter, it's all bets off. It's all bets off because he's going to beat him off the dribble, either get to the basket or create a shot for himself, a, a defense collapse, and he has somebody else open. You know, I don't see much of that being done today. Take advantage of your, your mismatches uh, in, the, in today's game. It's just come down and jack up a three. Don't run a play uh, a whole lot, a lot of one-on-one. Find where your mismatches are. Mm-hmm. I noticed, I remember one play when I was, you know, going back and watching the film, you guys would run a lot, was you'd have like an empty corner post up, two man action, the other three guys on the weak side, and you would run yep. like a double pin down for 3D, and yep, he would man. come off into a three. Yeah, exactly. Either we'll, you know, either Horace will make the, the, the pass in the penny, and me and Shaq will pin down. On mm-hmm. these spot to come off off the double screen up top, 
and I would slide to the corner. Yes. And, and, and Shaq, sometimes if you go to sleep, he had an easy duck in. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what action you're talking about. What was you know, sometimes even Penny, even Shaq would make the uh, post entries to Penny. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the play? I'm curious. It was the play was was for Penny. It was mm-hmm. one down. One down. But it still we still had the action on the other side where we were pinned down for D Scott or myself. Because some teams know when they we call the the the, the, the one down, they knew the, it was a post up play, so we'll catch them sleeping looking for the post-up play, and then they have the action on the other side that we screen down, and then we got D. Scott coming off the double screen and, and knocking down a three at the top of the key. So, you know, again, we took what the defense gave us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you guys, yeah, you guys had some great uh, X's and O's for the time, and like kind of like you articulated, running multiple actions, catching the defense, sleeping. Those are the things that, that get you those points, the easy points, the – the high percentage shots. I wanted to ask you, um, Nick, uh, one question. So how does it feel? This is, you know, more of a personal question to you and like a penny related question, but how does it feel being the only team during his reign of terror to be MJ in a playoff series? And how does it feel being the guy to not like not back down from him, check him full core game one, and then ice the game by getting that steal? Well, I, I look at it like this. You know, and this is my own, like you said, this is a personal opinion. I played, and this was all due respect to all the other guys that I played against. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan was the best basketball player that I ever played against. I can't speak for the guys that I never played against. And I, and I say that with all due respect to the guys that I played against. So that in itself was special to me. To, to, to battle the greatest basketball player, in my opinion, to, to, to go against him and, 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 you know, battle out on both ends of the, of the floor. You know, Michael Jordan, there's nobody that can stop him. Not myself, nobody. You just, a, a player like that, you just make him work hard on both ends of the floor and hope that he'll miss some shots. He'll make a, you know, he'll slip up and make a bad play, which didn't happen often. But the greatest guy that that I ever played against, those moments were special. Mm. Yeah, I I agree with you. Now, um, to kind of get into a more, like a fun question to think about here, obviously there's, you know, when we're talking about all-time greats, you can't – It's they're a one-of-one. One. They're special. They're unique like we talked about. But there is like – especially an influential player like Penny Hardaway. A lot of guys, you know, studied his game growing up in today's game. And you're obviously still a part of the game working with the Magic now and everything. Do you see any players in today's game and look at them and smile like, huh, he kind of reminds me of Penny? I, I have a couple in my head, but I'm curious on your thoughts. Wow. That's, that's hard, but let, 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 me, let me hear what you have to say. What, oh, what okay, so, talking? and I know that he, 
he's young. He's he's very young still, and he's still working out the kinks in his game. But just physically, and then that driving ability and the change of speeds that he uses when he drives and the length, I see a little bit of Shea Gilgis Alexander in Penny Hardaway. What do you think of that? I, I like that. I like that assessment. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like his size. What is he? Six five, six six. six. six yeah. Yeah, I like. I I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And then the other I, one, I've I've heard Penny say this before. He he compares them in their transition play, but also you could see it in the passing. But Ben Simmons, of course, he hasn't played in a little while, but you know he's a spectacular yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a he, for his size, he can pass the ball, get to the basket. You know, he's a floor general. He's a guy that he sees because of his size, he sees everything that's going on. He can see a lot of things that you know smaller point guards may not see because of his size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And that height, I mean, we talked about it with Penny, having that sight line, being able to see over things, see over a hedge and recover, you know, being able to see over those things really helped his playmaking during his time. Um, I'm curious, I, I want to know, because, you know, you're working with the team. I know we only have a little bit of time left, but I'm really curious to hear this because I don't know if you've heard, the Magic have acquired a lot of fascinating young talent and the future looks very bright for that young core. Are you, do you see any of, you know, your, your team and these guys, are you excited for their future? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for their future. And I, I tell people all the time, uh, you know, he's come a long way with, uh, other things that he's been through before he got to us. And then he suffered an ACL injury. I'm a big fan of Markel Fultz. I really am. Here's another guy that can, get to the basket and finish. He sees the floor. He does a lot of the small things, the intangibles that other people might overlook. You know, you got, you have people today that think that if you don't score 20 points a night, you're not a good, you're not, you're not doing anything. Well, excuse me, sir, miss, that tells me that you don't know much about the game. But I look at the addition of Ventero. I think uh, uh, he he brings a lot to the table. And and, and another guy that I'm, I'm really high on, and I call them him the enforcer. He's my Charles Oakley. He's my mm-hmm. my guy that rebounds and, and 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 takes up the space and do all the dirty work in the middle. And that's Wendell Carter Jr. He even wears the goggles. Yeah, he wear the goggles. Yeah, he, 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 he's my guy in the middle. You know, Jalen Suggs, I think he's he's coming around. Uh, very athletic, you know, for his size. He's, has that speed at 6'5", get up and down the floor. I think he's, he, now that he has a feel for the NBA game, becoming a better jump shooter. If we can get a Jonathan Isaac, him staying healthy, that, that's a, that's a, that's, that's great for us. And no one expected Franz Wagner. I know when we drafted him, the eighth pick, everybody's like, what's going on here? But he woke up a lot of people with the things that he can do at six foot ten. He can play the three to four. So, 
you mentioned that young talent. If we can get all that young talent to buy into the, the offense and defensive scheme and what the coaches want and to compete every night, I think they have a, a very good chance of being a very good young team and being a good team early. I agree, especially the, the Franz. I love Franz Wagner. I think he is yeah. such a good basketball player. I remember this one game I was watching this season. I want to know if you remember. Remember when he was guarding Luca, and he got Luca so mad. He had him so rattled. It was such a – and you, you guys almost beat him that game. I think they ended up coming away yeah. with it at the end. But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but it's, it's the things that he can do. He's mm-hmm. six foot ten. He can put the ball on the floor. He can shoot outside. He gets to the basket strong. So his, his – and his speed is, he got that deceptive speed. You wouldn't expect it, but he can get around you. Smaller guys, he can get around bigger guys. So, you know, uh, he brings a lot to the table. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with and you. If I, can, if I can get my boy Mo Bumble to just come on around, man, he could be a force in the middle. I mean, that's seven. What do we just say? We just named like seven, eight guys who are under 25 with all the potential in the world. Yes. Yes. I'm excited for you. It's very interesting. I I, I think, you know, uh, you know, the bench is going to be very key. It's going to be a big key for them. But the number one key is staying healthy, being able to, to, to play games together, practice together. Uh, and, and, and see where you can go from there. You have to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Right now, I know we're, we're, we're time's up, but I just want to ask you real quick before you come out, what's your all-time favorite Penny Hardaway moment? All-time favorite? Oh, man. <sighs> I can remember uh, a play in New Jersey. New Jersey came down and scored on us and uh, I think they were up one. I they I had the ball and we were looking for Penny. Penny came up to the top. We gave it to him and he put a one-on-one move on Johnny Newman to get to the basket and he slammed it with like two seconds left in the game to put us up. If I'm not mistaken, one or two. And then there's a move that he put on that he did against the Miami Heat. I don't, I can't, I can't describe this move. I mean, the way he spent and stepped back and shot a jump shot. It's plenty of moments, man. Oh, whoo. The, the time he dunked over Patrick Ewan. Just watched that this morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, he, he, and, and I used to watch the look of, MJ when he got, had to guard because they would start Pip on Penny and there come a time when MJ was like let me guard him and Penny he just was so creative with the ball you know he just he just wasn't no walking you know walking the park he just wasn't going to do anything to him when he had that ball yeah, no, I, I agree. One of the, the coolest things was, you know, in 1996 when you guys play the, the super team Bulls and that nasty defense, Penny cooks them. Penny cooks, like, the best perimeter defenders ever. He, he oh, looks yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I tell people, man, if 
Just think about the what if Penny Hardaway would never had his knee injury. Mm-hmm. What if? One of the best offensive you know, players ever. Yeah, you talk about all these players, and and, and I, I know Kobe was Kobe, but if Penny Hardaway would have never got hurt, God, people would be talking about Penny in the same breath. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Placing the Trent. If you enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. It goes a long way towards raising awareness for this series. Hey, I'm going to make the rules here, just the podcasts. Also, be sure to download the Basketball News app for notifications when new articles and podcast episodes come out from me and all my other wonderful coworkers at Basketball News. That about does it for me. I'll see you guys next time for the Chauncey Billups episode. But in the meantime, be safe and have an awesome day.